Praise God. Well, that's what that, that's you know that's I I have always enjoyed coming to church because I have enjoyed the fact that we can experience God. That God is not just you know this idea that we talk about and discuss, um, but God is a person that can be experienced. God is a person that wants to be in relationship with you and I. And I've taught on this before about how we are all individually, when he, when he created man, that he created us in his image, which means we are like God in multiple, uh, multiple ways, multiple capacities. And one of the ways that we are like God is through that we are spirit like God and we fellowship with God spirit to spirit. And we were doing that this morning and I'm telling you, I was blessed. Amen, I hope you were too. We're in a series right now called Wonder, and we're just taking time to be in amazement about who God is. Uh, not talking a lot about anything you need to do um, as a Christian. We spend a lot of time talking about those things in church, as you would imagine, because the Bible spends a lot of time talking about them. But in this sermon series, we're not taking a lot of time to talk about anything specifically that you need to do. We're just talking about spending time being in amazement and wonder about who God is and really just loving God and letting God love you. And that's a, that's a big part of relationship with God. You know, so many times when, they, when, when many people go into prayer or they go to spend time with God, so many people carry guilt and shame uh, and condemnation, feeling like they're not good enough, they're falling short. Uh, you know, and, and they know they could be doing better. They know they could be praying more. They know they could be reading the Bible more. Hey, can I just say that's, that's all of us? I imagine Paul the Apostle felt that way sometimes. I mean, you, because you're never going to do enough, right? You're never going to be perfect. And you can spend all your time meditating on that uh, when sometimes you ought to just spend time meditating on how good God is and the righteousness of Christ that's available to us through His blood. And, um, you know, if it was something that could be purchased through your own good works, then the old covenant, the Old Testament would have worked. That, that old system would have worked, but it didn't work. And I feel like sometimes New Testament believers are still acting like they're under the old covenant. They're still acting like uh, they're still living under the law, trying to live right, trying to do right, and trying to please God through that. But look, uh, in the New Testament, it, it's a different law. It's called the law of grace doesn't mean you don't have anything to do. We've got plenty to do. But you're not doing it to earn God's approval. Jesus earned God's approval on the cross, and you get to receive that as a free gift. That's a whole other message. That's not what we're talking about this morning. But what we are talking about, we started week one dwelling and meditating on the eternal God and kind of being amazed that we serve an eternal God who's been here from the beginning. Then we went into the eternal word and we looked at how the word of God has been here from the beginning. And today we're going to look at the eternal love of God. And I say eternal love, you're going to see why as we go through this, uh, through this series. Believe it or not, when I started this series, I did not intend to make all of these titles match like that. But every time we started, every time I started preparing a sermon, I realized that this element of eternity kept coming up. And so the eternal love, you're going to see that this morning. It's not uh, just a temporary love. It's an eternal love that we're going to be able to experience forever. And it's a beautiful thing. I want to start this morning by bringing up a thought to you. 
I, w- I was thinking about this as I was preparing this sermon that it's kind of weird the relationship that we have with celebrities in our culture, isn't it? And it's not really just our culture, it's around the world. You know, I, I was watching, my son and I were watching a documentary some uh, months ago on the original dream team, you know, the original basketball USA Olympic team where they had all the greatest players to ever play all on, all on one team. And they shouldn't even have called the teams after that dream team because the, the original one was a dream team. After that, I don't know what they were. They were still good, but they just, it didn't compare to that original team. But we were watching a documentary on this. And when they went, when they went to other countries, it didn't matter where that team went because they had preliminary qualifiers and stuff all over the world. And when they, when they went different places, people were fanatical. And, and it's just, it's nothing wrong with it, but when you think of it, it is a little weird, the relationship that we have with celebrities sometimes, isn't it? Like the way that you're idolizing this person and they have no idea who you are. And, and so I experienced this, you know, I, I'm a huge basketball fan for those of y'all that didn't know. And when I was in college, I had the chance to go on a road trip with a friend of mine and we caught a couple NBA games. And the first game we saw, we saw Lakers versus Bulls, and it was so Kobe and Shaq were on the same team. And Shaq got in a fight that game, by the way, which was pretty cool. You can go watch it on YouTube, but anyway. Um, and so I got to see Kobe Bryant play, and I, and I got, and I remember before the game, Kobe was signing autographs, and he signed literally the person standing right next to me skipped me and signed the person right to the right of me. And he said, well, I mean, obviously Kobe doesn't feel about me the way I feel about him. You know, just, it's, it's one way. The relationship and the appreciation is one way. He doesn't appreciate my skills, you know, the way I appreciate his. But this is the, re- and then in that same trip, I got to see Michael Jordan play. Now, unfortunately, Michael Jordan was playing for the Wizards at that time, not the Bulls. So this was a little later in his career, but it was still awesome. But it got me thinking about this. And we have, you know, it's, it's athletes, it's celebrities. And what's interesting about that relationship, which is kind of weird, you know, you see people like on that documentary I was watching where literally they're standing there and tears are streaming down their face. They're crying because they got to see Michael Jordan, or they got to see Magic Johnson, or they got to see Larry Bird, and they're just, they're screaming, they're crying. In a lot of ways, it kind of looks like a worship service. You know, it can't can't look like worship, right? And people are, when we come to church and we worship God and we're moved, we're, man, we're lifting our hands, we're we're singing from our harp. Some people might be crying, you know, tears. And it's like, this is the relationship that they are having with another human being. But how many of you know that that kind of worship is only reserved for one person? is the person of Jesus Christ. It's the only person that deserves that kind of worship. And it's not an arrogant thing, but really a believer should not be in awe of another human being, at least not on the same level that we're in awe of God. And I don't care how much of a celebrity they are or how amazing they are, they're still just a human being. And they're gonna stand before God and they're gonna give an account for their life just like you are. And I, can, I, I think of it this way sometimes. I think, well, mankind might be in awe of this person, but I'm not sure heaven is in awe of this person. And that's not the point of what I'm saying. This is the point of what I actually wanted to say. The point is, is that 
we think about these celebrities and people that are given this very high status in our culture, but most of the time, that, that awe and that adoration and that relationship is one way. It's just a one way relationship. Well, they don't know who you are. Kobe has no, well, bless, rest Kobe's soul. I, you know, Kobe's not around anymore, but if he was, Kobe wouldn't remember me. Shaq definitely didn't remember me, you know. But I remember meeting them, they don't remember me. Isn't it interesting, though, that with God, it's almost flipped? Now, now, what I mean by that is God knows more about you than you know about Him. The Bible says that God knows all the hairs that are on your head. He, know, he has them numbered. He knows. It says that His thoughts towards you are like the sand of the seashore. He knew you before you were ever created, before you were ever born. The Bible even says that there are books that are going to be opened on the last day where everything about your life has been written down, things you forgot about. But God didn't forget about them. God knows those things. So it's interesting to me that someone as important as God knows more about you than you know about yourself and, and loves you more, really, think about it, loves you more than you love yourself. And he definitely loves you more than you love him. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is this eternal love that we get to experience and just to be in awe of the fact that there is a God that loves you. We don't serve a God that just created the world and set it into motion and is just snapping his fingers and pointing his fingers and things are being done and there's no care or concern for humanity. We serve a God that loves us so much that he sacrificed himself for us that when he saw the state of humanity he said I will die for them to bring them out of that situation that's the God that we serve that's the that's the love of God that we get to encounter now I want to say this because if you've been in church for any amount of time you've probably heard more about the love of God than you've heard about any other subject and if you're not careful it can kind of become a little bit numb to your ears uh, because Jesus loves you is probably one of the most common said phrases in the world. You know, Jesus loves you. And it, it can become common. But here's what I learned when I was a young person. Uh, and I hope this makes sense to you. I'll try to explain it if, if you don't know what I'm talking about. But what I learned is that the love of God is something that is so powerful that you have to have supernatural revelation to understand it. You can't just simply understand it by, by, by the human mind. God has to reveal to you and give you revelation about what that love is and how much he loves you. And I believe it's something you can pray for. It's something you can ask for. It's something that I experienced as a teenager. And I'm not going to take a long time to tell my story this morning. I'm just going to tell you that, you know, I was raised in church and I heard how much God loved me my whole life. I heard how much God loved me. I heard the plan that God had for my life. I, I heard every sermon that could ever be heard. I heard it all, and, and I believed it. And, I, and I, as much as I could, I tried to live it. But when I was 15 years old, I experienced the love of God at a youth camp. And that one experience did more in my life than everything I'd been taught up to that point. Because teaching somebody about the love of God is not the same thing as experiencing the love of God. There's a lot of things in life like that, actually, right? 
You know, I, I, we could go through a course and, and people could teach you what it's going to feel like the first time you uh, skydive out of an airplane. It just somehow doesn't click until you're standing on the edge of that plane. <laughs> and when you jump, which I've never done it, by the way, but I'm imagining when you jump, it's going to surpass all the teaching you received up to that point, right? It, it's, it, the teaching is irrelevant at that point because I'm experiencing this now. The love of God is like that. Let me just tell you that the love of God, it, it's what your soul was created to absorb and to experience. And if you ever experience the love of God, the love of your creator, if you ever experience the love of God like you were intended to experience it, you'll never be the same again. It will change you forever. You'll never see yourself the same. You'll never see God the same. And you'll never see other people the same. It will change you to your, to your core. And when I realized, nobody told me, I, nobody could, t t could tell me this, but when I realized not that God loved the world, he does love the world, but when I realized not that God loved the world, but that God loved me, when I realized that for the first time, how much I meant to God, and, and how much my life, he was so involved in my life. When I, when I experienced that and I understood it, it completely changed me forever. As You can't do that with a teenager, by the way. How many of you have teenagers? You know you've tried everything you can try to change them. you tried everything you can to get them to act right. My parents did a phenomenal job, but I was still what I was until I encountered the love of God. And everything they've been trying to put in me and do in me, it happened like that. And I was a perfect child from there on out. No more problems. It was amazing. <laughs> Never caused another problem. No, I'm just kidding. It didn't happen quite like that. But I was a different person. I was a different person. From then, I didn't have to be dragged to church. From then, I, I didn't have to be made to pray or made to read my Bible or made to love my sister or made to love anybody. It was in me now. God had changed me. So what I'm telling you is that if you, if you have a certain relationship with God where you haven't experienced what I'm talking about, that's okay. But can I just tell you there's more? I just want you to know there's more. I want you to know that your relationship with God should be a progression. And, and what we know from Scripture is that those who seek Him will find Him. It, and it even says, when you seek me with all of your heart. Half-hearted seeking is not the same as seeking with all of your heart. Throwing God a little token every now and then, not the same as seeking God with all of your heart. And, and what I experienced as a teenager, you know why? And this is why when we take kids to youth camp, this is why they're changed. is because you take a week out of your life and you set everything else aside and the only thing you do is seek God. They put their phones aside. They put their regular schedule aside. They put all everything aside. And for one week, they seek God. And guess what? It's predictable. He shows up every summer. And it's the same for every person in this room. Any person that would take time aside to seek God and say, God, I'm not satisfied with my relationship with you. I want to know you better. I want to know your love more. I promise you, you'd be shocked at what God would do in your life. And see, I know that this can only come by revelation. For one thing, I experienced it, but also because of the way Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians. This is how Paul prayed. Paul already had met Jesus on the road to Damascus when he prayed this. But Paul prayed. He said, Father, I pray. And he prayed for himself, and he prayed for the churches. He said that we would know the, the depth 
the width, the height, the breadth of the love of Christ. He said, I'm praying that you would help us understand every facet of your love. Because it's not just something that you get naturally. You have to get it by revelation. If you don't know what I'm talking about with revelation, in Scripture, we are taught that we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us as our teacher, as our God, that will, He will lead us into all truth. What I mean by revelation is, if you read a Scripture, you could get it with your mental understanding. That's how most people read the Bible. They read the Bible, and they try to understand it mentally. And sometimes people come to me as their pastor, and they say, I'm reading the Bible, but I don't understand it. Well, that's okay, but you're only trying to understand it up here. And that's fine. That, that's a, you're going to get a level of understanding with that. But there is a deeper level of understanding with the Scripture called revelation. And it's when the Holy Spirit reveals to you in a moment what that passage really means. And helps you see it for the first time. Not with your, just your, your, your physical eyes, but with your spiritual eyes. This is why Jesus taught this way all the time. He said, he that has an ear, let him hear. He wasn't talking about if you have a physical ear. Everybody there had ears. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about their spiritual ear. He said, there's a different way to hear this that will change your life. And so I want, I'm hoping that this morning that you can get a revelation about the love of God. And I'm praying for you that you can get a revelation of the love of God this morning as we look at these passages together. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Paul writes this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Everybody say before. This scripture tells us that God chose us to be in Christ before the earth was ever created. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Look at this. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So this passage teaches us that before the world, before the earth was ever created, God knew your name. He knew your name, and the Bible says that he chose you and he predestined you. Pre, predestined means that he determined in advance what your destiny would be. Doesn't mean what some people think it means, that he chose some to be saved and not be saved. But, the, but because God is all-knowing and He knows the beginning from the end, He's the Alpha and the Omega, and, and he's, he's, you might as well say everywhere at once, including past, present, and future, He knew those that would choose Him. And according to that, He predestined those for adoption into His family according to the purpose of His will. Listen, did you know if you're saved, it was not by accident? Before God ever created the world, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about you. Just put your name in the blank. Fill, fill, in, fill in the blank with your name. Because the danger here is that you think of this in terms of just humanity. But I, I've told you this. I know you know this. It's no trouble for God to think about you as an individual and everyone as an individual all at once. So when he predestined you, he was thinking about you 
specifically. And this passage tells us that before the foundation of the world, you were chosen to be part of the family of God. It is not an accident that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God knew it would happen. And you might as well say, according to this scripture, it was destined that you were going to make that choice. God didn't necessarily cause it, but he knew that you would make it. And he predestined you according to that. Verse 11, it says, In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Revelations 13, 8. It says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him. This is talking about the, the beast, the Antichrist. It says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb. Look at this, slain from the foundation of the world. This is one of the amazing revelations that we get in Scripture, is that we think of Jesus as dying in a specific time, in a specific time period, but in the mind of God, he was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Why? Because when he created you, he all, before he created you, before he created the world, he already knew, Jesus already knew what would happen. They knew the whole thing. They knew that man was going to rebel. They knew that man was going to let sin into the world. They knew that Christ would have to come to the earth and die as the only son of God. They already knew that. And, and many people, when they find that out, they question, they would go, then why do the whole thing? Why, why create it then? If he knew that that's how it was going to turn out, if it was going to be that way, it's, it's very simple. He had you in mind. It's very simple. He knew the trouble, the difficulty. He knew the, the pain. He knew all of it. But the other alternative was, you don't exist. You are still just nothingness. <laughs> I don't know how to explain what non-existence looks like, but it's, <laughs> it's difficult. But you wouldn't be here. None of us would be here. That was the only choice. And so we could spend, a, it's a whole nother sermon talking about free will and how he had to create men that could choose and have a free will. We're not going to get into that. That's a whole nother sermon. But this is what you need to know for today. God thought you were worth the trouble. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that you look at the world and all the people that have rejected God and how he had to send his son, all that he's gone through. He said, those who would accept me, those who would choose me, those who would be adopted into my family, they are worth it. And we're going through all of this so that they can be with me. And now you may question things and you may, well, my goodness, wasn't there another way? I mean, could, couldn't there have been another way to get this thing done? Look, you can ask him when you get there. But I promise you this, uh, when you do ask him and you do finally ask him about it, uh, it's not going to come out that somehow you were smarter than God. You're not going to find out when, uh, through, once you get all your questions out and you finally question the creator, you're, you're not going to come to the conclusion of, well, I think I would have done it another way. You're going to be, the Bible actually says that you're going to stand in awe of the wisdom of, of how this thing had to be done. So there's some element of trust and faith there. Bottom line is I trust God. If he said it had to be this way, it had to be this way. Amen. But this is what I know. When I look at it, I think, my goodness, he, he could have chosen not to do it. 
I mean, he could have he looked at all the trouble we were going to cause, all the pain, the difficulty, the whole thing, and just said, this thing isn't worth it. But you know why he said it was worth it? For those who would choose him. You. He said, they matter so much to me that we're going to go through this. And I believe Jesus was in agreement with it. I don't know how all of that works. But, uh, but Jesus in Scripture is portrayed as someone who is getting an amazing eternal reward. Basically, he's going to inherit all things. And it says the reason was because he laid down his life willingly. So Jesus and God, the, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, they, they all, they were there. And this decision was made to go, you know what? This is what it's going to mean, but we're going to do this. From the foundation of the world, that decision was made. And it says that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. First Peter 1.18. Peter writes, he says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. In other words, you weren't redeemed with anything temporary. Okay, you weren't bought with gold, silver. You were bought with something else. And it's infinitely more valuable than, than gold, silver, money, anything that we have on this earth. He says, you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. That's, that was the price for you to be in relationship with God. Now, I know you, you've heard this so much that it's, it's easy just to go in one ear and out the other, but I want you to put yourself in the position of God. I want you to put yourself in the position of God and go, wait a minute, you're telling me I'm going to have to do this for these people that haven't even been created? I'm going to have to lay down my life? I'm going to have to be crucified for them? You know, recently, uh, we got a puppy in my house. It was not by my choice, okay? <laughs> Matter of fact, we had a conversation before the puppy came into my house very clearly. I said, I just want you to know, this is not my dog. Just making this very, very clear. So my wife and daughter, they are taking care of this beautiful little puppy. Now I have to admit, and my wife has made fun of me since, but since little Teddy has come into our home, I do love Teddy very much. I, I, have, a, I have quite a soft spot in, in my, my heart for Teddy now. But before that, he was just, he wasn't real, right? I didn't know Teddy. I had no loyalty to Teddy. Just some dog out there. I have, there's no love, zero love in my heart for this thing that I did not know. Do you understand? And then, of course, you see the cute little dog, and, and then you fall in love. That's, that was the position that God was in. He did, you didn't exist. You didn't exist. There was no loyalty to you. Could have been. No loyalty. No, it was, you were just a thought. And still... He said, we're going to do this. No, even knowing what it's going to cost and knowing what it's mean, we're going to do this. That's how much you mean to God. Now, if you want to know how valuable something is, you look at the price that people are willing to pay for it, right? So if you ever want to know what value you hold to God, it's very simple. What price was paid for you? This is the point that Peter's making here. He says, you weren't, you weren't redeemed with gold, silver, all the things that mankind says are the most valuable things on the planet. He said, you weren't redeemed with those things. You were redeemed with something that was far, far more priceless, far more valuable that is the blood of Jesus. God doesn't exchange the blood of his own son for something less valuable. 
And it shows you how valuable you are to God because when he redeemed you, he could have made you like a servant or, or a slave of some kind. How many of you would have been happy just being a servant in heaven? I mean, as opposed to hell, Lord, I'll sweep the floors for eternity. I, just don't send me to hell, Lord. I would have been thrilled, happy, in the presence of God, perfect world, sweeping the floors, amazing. I would have loved it, just awesome. No, that's not what, it, that's, when you read scriptures, the, the, the thing that blows your mind is, he doesn't want you as a servant, he wants you as a son or a daughter. He ends up giving you, this is from all the New Testament, we don't have time to teach this this morning, he ends up giving you the same status as Jesus Christ. He ends up making you, the Bible calls you, a co-heir to the inheritance that Jesus is going to receive. You don't deserve it. It's, it's mind, that's why I say it takes revelation. It just, it's hard to comprehend it. But he ends up making you a co-heir. You're not like a lesser son or a lesser daughter in some way. He ends up gifting you the same status, literally adopting you into his family as his own son or daughter you become part of the family of God. He could have done a lot less than that and we'd have been happy. Right? I mean, we'd have just all been happy to be there. But when we get there and you find out, because we, we barely understand it right now, but when you get there and you find out, first of all, the price that was paid, when you get there and understand how, how great really the treason and the sin was, and then the forgiveness that was gifted and the price that was paid and then the inheritance that you're going to receive that really was for Christ but you're getting adopted into that and just gifted when you really get there and understand it you can understand why we're going to fall on our face and we're going to worship for a, maybe a few hundred years to get over it because I promise you your, your earthly mind right now can't comprehend it so he says knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver gold from your aimless conduct but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you so just another testimony from scripture saying that before the world before the foundations of the world Jesus was ordained that he would be the lamb that is slain even though he was only manifest in the particular time period he was born in so the implications of these scriptures are that God knew man would rebel before he created the world he knew sin would enter and wreak havoc he knew his enemy Satan would receive authority he knew many would never follow him and he knew Jesus would die for all of mankind but he did it anyway and that tells you how much he loves you and cares for you Ephesians chapter 1 uh, we already read it earlier but that phrase in the beginning it says even as he chose us do you see that it was a conscious decision it was a choice that had to be made a choice to do or not do choice to choice to not do means God goes on and creates something else I mean who knows he already had heaven he already had the angels maybe he already had you know some of the universe who knows but he had a choice to do or not do if he doesn't do you're not here 
If he does do, it means that there's going to be significant pain and significant sacrifice on his end. But he chose to do it because he loves us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. We're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning because I really want you to see this pattern. Matthew 25, 34. How many of you have ever seen these, uh, these stories where maybe there's like a famous person and they're already rich and they're already wealthy and they already have tremendous influence and then somewhere along the way they find out that they had another child they didn't know about and this person this child didn't know either and then they find out about it and so their life completely completely changes I think this happened recently with uh, Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty when I say recently I mean within the last several years I think he found out that he had another, and they have all this status and all of this money. And then this person finds out, wait a minute, I'm what? I'm part of what family? And then you find out, wait, they want to include me just like the other kids? And then you find out, wait a minute, what? They put me in their will just like the other kids? Oh, man, everything's changing for me now. But it's like it was always there, but you're just now finding out about it. And then when you do find out about it, it changes everything. People are walking around this world not even knowing that they're invited to be part of the family of God. They just walk around. They'd rather, if, if they could and make the choice, they'd rather be part of somebody else's family. They'd rather be part of some celebrity or some famous person's family. They go, oh, I could be part of that. I'd have money. I'd have... Listen, you don't, they don't even understand. You've been invited to be part of the family of God and they treat it like it's nothing. Just walk around, just living life on such a low level, never pondering, never thinking about what, what the gift of salvation really is. Never think about what the gospel really is. There are people driving by this church right now, clueless. They think what's, they see the parking lot packed. I talk to people sometimes around town, and it comes up, oh, you're pastor. Oh, yeah, I drive by there all the time, man. That parking lot's full. Looks like things are going on in there. Yeah. Lots going on in there. A lot more than you realize. Because what's going on in there is a lot more than what we can see right now. We're, we're talking about something that affects the whole world. And you got people just driving by, just clueless. They don't think nothing about what's happening here, not could care less, don't value what's happening in here. And that's okay, but they just don't, they don't even understand. Like you've been given an invitation to be part of God's family. And listen, that's why the Bible says that on that day, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When I hear that phrase, I just think, wow, that's like, I see somebody just crumbling under the weight of just tremendous agony when they realize what they said no to, when they realize what they rejected, when they realize what had been offered that they spit on and they turned away and they counted as common. The Bible says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth as people realize what their eternity could have been versus what it's going to be going to be now but praise God we we know about it now and it's our job to share that with the world it is our job to get that invitation out and say listen God loves you you've been given this invitation we can't keep it to ourselves we got to let you know about what's available for you Matthew 25 34 is talking about that day 
Jesus in this whole chapter is describing what that day will be like when the sheep and the goats are divided. Verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, That's you, those, that's the sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You see this pattern over and over again. He looks at those on his right and he says, Come, inherit this kingdom that's been waiting on you, that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why would God want to give us that? Why? You're telling me there's, there's a whole kingdom that's been prepared for us that's just waiting from the foundation of the world? Yeah, that's, that's the goodness of God. That's the love of God that, that we serve and that we have. Revelations chapter 20, verse 11. says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is significant. We are told from Scripture that there is a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And that anytime somebody receives Jesus Christ, anytime that somebody receives salvation through Jesus Christ, that their, their name is written in this book. But what's interesting, and that's how we think about it, a person gets saved and then their name is written in this book. What's interesting, if you look in Revelations 13, verse 8, we find out something a little bit different. Revelations 13, 8, it says, And all who dwell on earth will worship it. We're talking about the, we're talking about the uh, Antichrist again. All who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So wait a minute. This scripture tells us that whoever's name is in that book has been written before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because God knew those who would receive him and those who would reject him. He already knew it in advance. It's not like God was waiting for you to make a choice and wrote it down. It was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life before you were ever born because he knew the decision that you would make. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is so that you understand this thing is not haphazard. Okay, this thing is not um, chance. Well, you do, you don't. God knew from the beginning who would receive him and who would reject him. Revelation 17, 8 says the same thing. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction and the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. In other words, from the foundation of the world, their name was not written because they didn't make that choice. They will marvel to see the, the beast because it was and is and is to come. So what I want you to understand is that your name is written already. If you are a believer and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your name is already written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And your name was put there before the foundation of the world. 
the Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. It says that a kingdom was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. So these things were not haphazard. God had a plan. He's always had a plan. He's following that plan. And that plan will come to completion in His timing and in His way. And then we're all going home to be with Jesus. And listen, you're going to live. You're going to live in a constant state of fellowship and love with God for all of eternity. I know this life is hard. I know we've all experienced pain and difficulty and loss and disappointment and all, all kinds of things that, you're, that you've experienced. But, I, but, but God knows it and He decided that it was worth it for us to go through this knowing what was going to come, knowing the state that we were going to end up in. And I can promise you once you're there, once you've been in eternity for a few hundred, maybe a few thousand years, you're barely even going to remember this. Because it's going to be so good there that it's going to, this is going to pale in comparison to that. The goodness of God and the love of God is going to make the, the difficulty and the pain that we've experienced just seem about, about that big. And this is what is prepared for us. So what I wanted you to think about in this, in this sermon and in this series is I wanted you to have a few things that you could just spend time wondering about, just, just in amazement about who God is. Take some of these scriptures that we've talked about, meditate on them during the week. Come to life groups this week and, and discuss it. We're going to be discussing these scriptures uh, in our life groups this week. Come and take time to meditate on these things before God. Let it, let it bewilder you. Let it, let it cause questions to rise up and go, my God, what kind of God do we serve that he knew these things from the beginning and what does that mean? It's all in there for a reason. I think one of the reasons it's in there is to help us understand the character and nature of God and to cause us ultimately to worship. Because when you read these things, that's, that's really all you can end up doing is just going, my God, I, I've got to worship. I have to worship the Creator that knew these things, planned these things, designed these things, and is fulfilling these things. Amen?